During Lent, we are in search of the simple gospel and a very complex gospel, the gospel of John. But we're looking at who Jesus said that he is in the gospel of John. So we're looking at the I am sayings. By some count, there are six of them. By other counts, there are nine of them. Places where Jesus said, I am, which is the way that God referred to himself in the Old Testament in the Hebrew Bible followed by an object or something that was very common in the first century. So today we are looking at the saying, I am the gate. This is, our passage is from the message, Eugene Peterson's The Message. It's the 10th chapter of John, beginning with verse 1. Jesus said, let me set this before you as plainly as I can. If a person climbs over or through the fence of a sheep, instead of going through the gate, you know he's up to no good, a sheep rustler. The shepherd walks right up to the gate. The gatekeeper opens the gate to him and the sheep recognize his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he gets them all out, he leads them and they follow because they are familiar with his voice. They won't follow a stranger's voice, but will scatter because they aren't used to the sound of it. Jesus told this simple story, but they had no idea what he was talking about, so he tried again. I'll be explicit then. I am the gate for the sheep. All those others are up to no good, sheep stealers, every one of them. But the sheep didn't listen to them. I am the gate. Anyone who goes through me will be cared for, will freely go in and out and find pasture. A thief is only there to steal and kill and destroy. I came so that they can have real and eternal life, more and better life than they ever dreamed of. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. A book called The Jewish Gospel of John, the author says that theft was as common in the first century as it is today. What was different in the first century was how one would go about stealing, what you would take. For the most part, uh, people grew their own produce, and they raised their own livestock. So to hurt a sheep owner economically, you'd steal their sheep. Sounds simple enough, right? But actually, it's more difficult than you would think, because you can only steal as many sheep as you can carry. Yeah. You can't convince a sheep to follow you. They know and respond only to their shepherd's voice, not a stranger. So a sheep thief has to kill or bind up a sheep and then drag it off. It's not easy work to be a sheep stealer. (laughs) If you own sheep and you really want to keep them safe at night, you put them away. You put them in a sheepfold, which was in the first century constructed next to and adjoining the house, and it had a separate door, an outside entrance, what we in Texas would call a gate. The only access to the enclosure where the sheep were held was through that outside gate. Now, a younger shepherd or an assistant shepherd might be assigned to watch the gate at night, And he or she might even lie down in that gate and sleep there to protect the sheep. 
So the picture, I am the gate, would be really approachable and understandable to people in the first century. They can imagine an actual person protecting the sheep who are in the pen at night and then releasing them in the morning to pasture. So through the gate, through the gate, the sheep find salvation, protection, and rest at night. And then through that same gate on the other side, the sheep find pasture that nourishes and sustains life. When Jesus says, I am the gate, he means for us to have salvation and protection. And he also offers us nourishment and sustenance. Last week, we considered the phrase, I am the bread of life, that Jesus says in John chapter 6, where Jesus reworks the imagery of the Exodus story, specifically the manna, the bread that came from heaven and sustained the Israelites for 40 years in the wilderness. Jesus says, I am much like that. I am much like bread from heaven. In chapter 10, Jesus is again reworking Hebrew Bible imagery, but this time what he's reworking is a flock of sheep and shepherding what he's reimagining. As in the 23rd Psalm, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Or as in the beloved King David, who before he was king was first a shepherd. And a less familiar passage to us, but probably not to the people of Jesus' day, was from the prophet Ezekiel. Ezekiel was one of the Jews who was exiled to Babylon by Nebuchadnezzar, and he married in Babylon, he lived in a home in Babylon, and he was a prophet from a priestly family who was called to minister to his people, other exiles. In chapter 34, Ezekiel says that the Lord will be Israel's shepherd. He wrote this, Woe to you shepherds of Israel who only take care of yourselves. You've not strengthened the weak or healed the sick or bound up the injured. They are scattered. My sheep are all over the mountains and no one searches for them. My flocks have been plundered. They've become food for wild animals. And Ezekiel goes on to write in verse 13 of chapter 34, I'm going to bring them. I will bring them into their own land and I will tend them. I will feed them in a good pasture. I will search for the lost and I'll bring back the strays. I will bind up the injured and I will strengthen the weak. And so the promise, the promise is for salvation, for rest and protection in their own land. And the promise, the promise is for nourishment, for a good pasture that will sustain them, that will sustain life. And it's for all. This promise is for all. It's even for the broken. It's even for the sheep that are lost. One of the things that I'm learning quickly about the Gospel of John is how important it is to look around when Jesus is talking in this Gospel, to look around the passage. What happened right before Jesus started talking, because Jesus is probably addressing the narrative. He's probably addressing the story that just occurred. It's also important to remember that John didn't write his gospel with numbers. He didn't have chapters or verses. That separation between chapter 9 and chapter 10 in John's gospel is artificial. Scribes did it later. 
They added those numbers. They added those chapter numbers and those verses to make it easier to copy and easier to read. So in chapter 9 of John's gospel, there's a story. There's a narrative there. And the story is of Jesus who heals a man who is born blind. And he heals this man who is born blind on the Sabbath, which then falls under the scrutiny of the religious leaders. They bring the man in front of him, and they question the man. And then they question his parents, and then they question the man again. And at the end of a very heated exchange with the man who can now see, the Pharisees say, to him, you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they throw him out. Some versions say they drove him out. And some biblical scholars believe that this is a rather direct reference to the exclusion and the persecution that the gospel writer that John and the Christian community that actually surrounded him experienced from the religious leaders of their days when they were driven out of synagogues for following the way of the Christ. Ezekiel's prophecy in chapter 34, I will bring them back to their own land and I will give them a good pasture I think it was Jesus' intention in the first century and every century since then to say, I will bring them back. They will be mine, and I will give them a good land. One thing that I'm convinced of this week is that we are all sheep in this metaphor. In this metaphor, we are all the sheep. I've noticed the temptation when reading John chapter 10 to jump to the question, who among us is a good shepherd? Or are you shepherding your business, your family, your church well? But funny, I didn't have that same, I didn't feel that same pull last week to ask who among us is the bread or am I the bread of life? In this particular metaphor, we are all the sheep in the Lord's pasture, every single one of us, every single one of us sheep. Next week, in the same chapter, Jesus will say, I am the good shepherd, but this week, I am the gate. And I am the gate means that Jesus is our point of access. He's our point of access to salvation, which means rest and protection. And he's our point of access to all that will grow and strengthen us. New Testament scholar Marianne Mai Thompson says it this way, Jesus as the gate means he is access to fullness of life. He's access to fullness of life. And in John's gospel, fullness of life gets characterized over and over again in three different ways. The word love, the word joy, and the word peace. Those three things mean fullness of life for us. We receive this fullness of life through fellowship through fellowship with God, and through fellowship with other people. It's like the Shema that we recite each week. Love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. Basically, basically, the truth is find yourself a flock of sheep that routinely walk through the gate of Jesus. 
Find yourself a flock of sheep that routinely walk through Jesus as the gate. I really like how Brene Brown describes a safe culture in a church. Remember what she said? She said it means be here, be seen, be loved. And I hope that everyone hears me say, be here, be seen, be loved. And even if you don't, or one week I forget to say it, which is bound to happen, remember that Jesus as the gate says it so clearly. Jesus as the gate means that you belong here in this space. Jesus as the gate means that God knows who you are and that you are loved, you are valued, you are worth protecting. Theologian Howard Thurman was quite poetic and quite quotable. He was a theologian and preacher in the 20th century. He once said, Ultimately, there is one place of refuge on this planet for any person that's in another person's heart. To love is to make of one's heart a swinging door, a gate. Isn't that true? When I know that I am loved, I feel safe. It's a place of refuge. So the goal then becomes to make my heart a swinging door, a gate, so that my love for others flows out of my life and their love for me can flow into my life. You know, I've often heard the question, do you have Jesus in your heart? And I don't think it's a bad question, but you might just get Jesus trapped in your heart. (laughs) I think I've seen that before. Maybe the better question for the evangelist is, is Jesus the gate to your heart? Is Jesus the gate to your heart, the swinging door? Are you giving and receiving love freely? Howard Thurman grew up in segregated Daytona Beach, Florida, and public school for him ended in seventh grade. His grandmother had been a slave on a plantation She could neither read nor write, but she insisted that he continue his education, and the closest place to do that was 100 miles away in Jacksonville. And so the family packed up a trunk for him, and he headed to the train station. There, Howard Thurman spent all the money that he had, $5 on a train ticket only to learn that he needed three more dollars to get his trunk to travel as well. He said that he sat and sobbed a 12-year-old in the train station when he got the news. But an elderly black man in denim overalls spotted him and said, if you're trying to get out of here to get an education, the least I can do is help you. And the stranger paid the bill, and he walked away. Decades later, Howard Thurman would dedicate his autobiography to the stranger in the railroad station who restored his broken dream 65 years ago, a man with a swinging door in his heart, a gate. Jesus said, I am the gate. Will you pray with me? Lord God, you are ruler of the universe. And you want good things for us, every one of us. 
You gather us in for rest, and you send us out to grow and be strengthened. We thank you for both of these seasons, for rest and for service. You are the gate. Would you create in each of our hearts swinging doors that welcome and release love freely? We pray this in the name of your Son, who taught us to pray. Would you pray with me? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Save us in the time of trial, and deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours, now and forever. Amen.